Welcome back to the Seven Figure Music School podcast, where we share solutions to common problems that music school owners face and help you build a more sustainable music school business. I'm Daniel, this is Nate, and today we're bringing another installment of our series on summer camp. Previous episode, we talked about selling out your summer camp, but it begs the question, what are you trying to sell out? What's the actual product, the service that you're promoting? What should the quality of that camp be? This is where I think we need to think about a concept that Nate often talks about, delivering on the promise you make to your clients. So to do that, we brought on Pierre Moynister, co-founder of Brooklyn Music Factory, camp director, and longtime partner of Nate. Nate, of course, be my partner in crime. We're uh, almost 60 episodes in. Welcome, Pierre. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Psyched to be here. So I'd like to start with a question, Pierre. Why camp? Uh, what motivated or inspired you to begin a music camp in Brooklyn? Nate, in a previous episode, spoke about the size of the camp. You were hugely instrumental in building it to that size. So I'd maybe love to get a little bit of the backstory of why camp is such a um, near, why camp is so near and dear to your heart. Yeah, I'm. I grew up in Brooklyn, a family of teachers, um, and when I was a kid, my parents actually started their own camp in Brooklyn with my nursery school teacher, who I still see around the neighborhood to this day. Um, my dad is still running the camp to this day. And so being in camps, being around camps, working in camps, um, I've quite literally done my whole life. Um, everything from being a CAT when I was 12 to driving a school bus for my father when I was 23 on the BQE in Brooklyn. <laughs> um, it's, it's honestly in my blood. I don't think I could have avoided it. But now, hilariously, um, my kids go to my father's camp while I go work my camp. And <laughs> then I leave my camp and go pick up my kids from my dad's <laughs> camp. And I joke that my kids think everybody's families have camps. Like <laughs> your, your parents don't have a camp, your grandparents don't have a camp. <laughs> Interesting. So Brooklyn Music Factory's camps in their current form, did you write the curriculum, create those programs for them on your own? Did you and Nate collaborate on those together? Maybe tell me a little bit about that. It's been a journey. Um, I wouldn't say there was this, um, I wouldn't say that there was this concrete moment when I sat down and Nate sat down and we said, let's start a camp. This is what it's going to look like and write the curriculum from start to finish. It's sort of been a slow build. Um, I should also mention if I'm being completely honest, besides the fact that camp came out of my own history Camp also really came out of a need. Here we were. We had this after-school program from September to June, and then two months of nothing. Um, and we were across, at the time, we were across the street from a climbing facility, and, and Nate actually had the great idea to start um, combining forces with the climbing facility and do a joint program, and that's really how it started. Um, so, yes, there's a long history of camps, but there is also if I'm being totally honest, um, a real need for it just um, to fill that gap. Um, mm -hmm. So that said, going back to your question, um, it's been a slow build. Um, 
we started out really small. Um, and I feel um, personally that we have really found our footing in the past five years or so when it comes to curriculum. And even to this day, I'm still refining it, um, making sure that we are fulfilling our promise to families, making sure that what we do is what we say we're doing. So I wouldn't be surprised if you asked me that question in a few years and I said again that we are still refining mm. it and still building mm. it. I, there was never one point where we sat down and said, this is how it's going to look and this is how it's going to look till the end of time. When you said found your footing, I'm, I'm curious what yeah. that means. What, what, what was that quantum leap that yeah. you made? I'm going to speak for myself. Um, Nate, I don't want to speak for you in this context. But for me, finding my footing meant being the most authentic version of ourselves. So there was a long time at the beginning where I was doing what I felt like I was supposed to be doing, um, yeah. promising what I was supposed to be promising, saying what I was supposed to be saying. A little, it, very much that imposter syndrome where you've started a business, but you've never started a business before, and you have to pretend you know how to start a business. <laughs> um, and yeah. so those first years, it was very much almost like a fake it till you make it mindset of um, keep going until you find your way. And through that, I felt that I wasn't my authentic self until about maybe five years ago. Um, and then over the course of the last five years, I've really um, honed in on who I am. Once again, I'm just speaking for myself. I don't want to speak for Nate. Mm. Who I am, how the camp reflects my belief system on what I feel is important and what I feel we should be doing um, and making sure that the camp reflects that authentic self. Does that make sense? Pierre, I was going to just, let me jump in here, first of all, because of course you and I have had conversations like this, like, as you said, we self-reflect maybe sometimes to a fault. Like we, <laughs> like yesterday we had coffee and we had things on our agenda to talk about. And instead we just chose to not touch a single bullet point. <laughs> just, anyways, spend most of the time uh, just reflecting on life, etc. But can I share? I thought what I would do, getting back to Daniel's question, um, around specifics, like what did it look like before it, but you know, before and then after, because I can just yeah. say from my perspective that there was a noticeable energy shift. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on at BMF is that that community room. And when you walk into the space, what's the energy? Yeah. And uh, and let me actually just put it in terms that I would use more in my head around energy, which is that you talk about this experiential knowledge and this authenticity. To me, there's a clear difference when I walk into a space with creatives or business owners and they're exuding experiential knowledge, which to me is like wisdom. Like mm -hmm. I'm walking into a space of wisdom. And what you're describing to me, I felt so, I've felt so many times in camp. Like I talked to you, you know, we've talked about like, I'll walk in on a Friday gig and it's just like this energy that's like, what is so beautiful about this? And so let me just say to you what I noticed as a difference. And then maybe, maybe you can tell me if I'm I observing. know where you're going. 
Yeah. yeah. Am I am observing authenticity, like authentic choices around this delivery on promise? Like what are we actually doing in camp? Yeah. <clears throat> so the first thing I noticed, and of course we talked about it as a team and like these things don't just match. It's not like you came in and declared. It's like these things, like you said, it's not a, it's because that would be unfair to our listeners to just say one day I woke up and there was a revelation. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but, but what I observed was first and foremost, you owning yourself as a songwriter and then just declaring that at camp, being yeah. like what we are as a songwriting program. And you were like, here's how my life evolved as a creative songwriter. And this is, these are my songs. Like you, you know, you start playing gigs at BMF on our, like, which, which was, were amazing. And, but that was the first clear for me inflection point where I was just like, Oh, that's what camp is. It's producing like dozens of songs every summer. Um, am I accurate there? Like, was that a concrete moment in your life where you were just like, you know what? I don't want to, be a rock band camp. I don't want to be a da 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 da. I want to be a songwriting camp. So, very recently, I actually refined the language on our website because mm. I wanted to hone into what you're asking me even more. Um, the language that I just recently changed was um, the headline is Have Fun, Be Inspired, Build Community. Mm. there's nothing in there mm. about learning how to play, learning what a quarter note is. Right. And that's intentional. Uh, have fun is about our game-based curriculum. Kids are mm. learning how to make music together in camp through games. Right. It's, mm. it's not private lessons. This is learning how to make music together through fun, um, exciting ways. Um, so that's have fun, be inspired. That's the songwriting part. Cause that's the truest thing to me. Um, there is nothing more inspiring than songwriting. There is an investment that comes with songwriting. Um, there's an ownership that comes with songwriting. And so that's what that part is about. Kids are going to come in and they're going to walk away inspired and excited. I've had many parents tell me that their kids never saw themselves as a songwriter are the first thing mm. I, I taught on Monday in our camp. Mm. And the first conversation we had is what are we doing here today? And the kids didn't know at first they were little, they were four and five. They yeah. were like, uh, I think they, one kid said music notes. They just threw out some words <laughs> that they knew were important. <laughs> and, and we talked about songwriting and, they didn't even know what that was at first. So we had a conversation about the songs that they love. Tell me a song that you love. Of course, a four-year-old threw out Frozen, right? They love Let It Go and Frozen. And I asked them, did you know that a person wrote that song? Blew their minds. What? There's <laughs> a human being behind that song? That one's a little more complicated because it's Elsa. So I might have been muddying the waters a little bit. But... We talked about, you know, Firework by Katy Perry. Did you know somebody wrote that song? And yeah. that conversation was the beginning of a day where they learned that not only somebody wrote that song, because this was just a holiday camp, it was one day, one day long, but they could actually write songs themselves. And by the end of the day, we had a song about snow and they performed it 
and they were psyched and they were inspired. And so that's yeah. a long way of explaining um, the be inspired part. And then there's the build community. Camp is so much about being together, building community. I'm sure you remember when you were a kid, if you went to camp, by the end of the week, you felt like these people were your best friends. <laughs> it felt one week of camp, by the end of the week, these were strong bonds. And that's what happens through the course of even a holiday camp through the course of the day. But forget it. Through the course of a week, by that Friday, they perform a song together. These kids are united. Um, in addition, they're playing in the park together. They're having lunch together. They're playing games together. It is a community building space. And so the, this was a very long answer <laughs> to your question about how, what are the real ways it has changed? When I first started, I thought I needed to talk about music education in camp. Mm. I thought I needed to talk about what they were going to learn musically and how they were going to um, change as a musician in camp. But the truth is, camp is different than after school. Camp is so much about these other things. And so as I learned to embrace that camp was about these other things, camp grew stronger. And um, the last thing I'll say that I, I, I learned over the course of the time that is a concrete thing about how, um, about uh, the change from being less authentic to more authentic is really honing in on what we are doing for families in camp. In our after-school program, families drop their children off for an hour. Maybe don't even drop them off. Maybe hang out in the community space. Yeah, we so, hope they hang out. <laughs> right. Listen to, you know what I mean, listen to a podcast. Um, and there is a level of care for people's children that comes with camp that is so vastly different than after school. And that was a part of it I wasn't recognizing at the beginning. And- mm. I take that so seriously now. Um, it is, I, when I was growing up and my father would have his camp meetings in our living room <laughs> with all the staff and everybody would come in. Um, and I always knew when my father was getting to the part where he wanted to put the fear of God into these people's minds. These mm. are people's children. You cannot mess around with that. My father's camp goes on trips every day. They get the kids in a bus. They take them to the beach, to the ocean. They go to Central Park in New York City. They go to the Bronx Zoo with thousands of other people. And I always knew when he was getting to the part of the speech where these children are in our care. And we need to take that seriously. We need to know who is with us at all times, what their needs are. We need to honor their needs. And we need to keep them safe and really care for them. And so getting in touch with that part of me that came from my childhood when I would watch my father give that speech about counting kids at every transition and not messing that up once. You can't mess that up one time. Yeah. I, that was another part of the shift of being like, this is, I actually know this. I grew up with this. This is something I know well. I don't need to go to school about counting children and making sure these kids are kept safe. 
I know this in my soul, in my blood. And so that was another part of the journey for me. And educating our teachers what, what that means and what that looks like. I don't know about you, but I didn't get an owner's manual when I started my music school. And I wasted a lot of time on trial and error and making things up as I went along. But you don't have to do that. Nate and I are building a library of resources and tools exclusively for fans of this podcast. Go to growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS and sign up to receive podcast updates, free resources, and even submit questions for us to answer on the podcast. That's growyourmusicstudio.com slash 7FMS. And we look forward to answering your questions. Well, I think what I'm hearing is just that for both of you, and I'll even speak for myself in the camp that we built in Northern Virginia, this wasn't about building a business, I think, for any of us. This was about being on a mission. That's what it sounds like to me. Because even from the language that you use there, Pierre, what I'm observing is that there, there's a there's a deeper feeling and more emotion there than just the bells and whistles that typically accompany business talk. Even thinking about what your dad said and how that deeply impacted you. I think the question I would ask next would just be to define the term a little bit better. What is delivery on promise to you and why is it important to the people listening? If, yeah. And, and let's even let's even define terms even a little bit better. There are people here who already have a camp and they want to make it bigger or they see an opportunity to make it bigger. And then there are people who who this is something that they've considered doing. I can think of people in my circle right now that don't have a camp but have asked questions about it. Yeah. So let's make this really practical for them. Why is delivery on promise such an important thing? Is it just a fancy word for making a good product or is there something more to it than that? Yeah. So there was a couple of parts to that question. Is the main, I just want to repeat back to you what I'm hearing. Is the main question um, how to deliver on promise to families or why it's important to deliver on promise to families or? Yeah, let's just define it to begin with. And define yeah. it maybe in such a way that we're bringing out the practicality of it to folks who are listening. Yeah. So I would say that um, defining delivery on, on promise is, number one, finding uh, defining what who you authentically are as a person and defining how you authentically are as a business and how that business reflects how you are as a person. Um, And that takes some work. It's not going to happen right away. You also need to make make sure, and this is um, in the context of a camp specifically, that your teachers or your counselors um, also know what they're delivering. Um, It needs to be part of your training. Um, I have discovered through the course of all these years doing the camp that I haven't always trained to that. Um, there have been times that I've hired to it in my mind 
or I have thought to myself, this person is great to deliver this promise, but I didn't actually let them know what that promise was. Mm. And, um, and so making sure that the teachers deliver on that promise is also a very important part of um, actually making it happen. And then as much as you need to mean it, as much as it needs to be authentic to you, your teachers need to mean it. That it needs to feel authentic to them. And so that is, I know you guys talk about hiring to values so much, but so much of that is hiring to values. Um, and if there's parts of it that you need to train to it, like how to keep the kids safe, you know, um, mm-hmm. how to make sure that the curriculum is being delivered in the way you want it to be delivered. You need to make sure you're training to that promise. Um, there have been times that I have been in the past, let's say in those five years where I've sort of made the jump, um, where I've realized that my training was my old training. It reflected my old self. It reflected the part of me that I thought I was supposed to be delivering. And only recently have I started to refine the training to deliver what I know we should be delivering and that what we, what I want to be delivering. And so it seems obvious, but the waters can get muddy really quickly. Um, And so number one is knowing what your promise is, meaning it. Number two is having, making sure your teachers know what the promise is and them meaning it. Um, And then number three is making sure the curriculum accurately reflects that promise. Um, And it's built to deliver that promise. Um, And oftentimes when I am doing the work that I'm talking about, the slow build, the finding it, one of the ways to find out if you are actually delivering on that promise beyond just observing, shadowing teachers, being on the ground is listening. It is one of those things that is hard to do. It's frankly scary to do. Who are you listening to? Pira, who are you talking about? I don't want to hear. Well, I am talking about listening to families. Yes. I'm talking about listening to teachers. I'm talking about listening to kids. It is terrifying sometimes. Be super specific. Tell us a story. Yeah. Of, of so, a, for each one of those. Yeah. So uh, we send out um, an NPS survey at the end of each summer. Um, Nate, I can't remember what NPS stands for. Net promoter oh, yeah. score, but really just yeah. means it's just like fast feedback from a family. That's what we call it. <laughs> Thank you. That is the kind of thing I will never remember what that means, uh, what that what that stands for. Um, so we send out a net pr- uh, promoter score, an NPS survey, and we ask for real feedback. And every year when I look at our NPS, there is I feel fear. <laughs> I don't want to look, but I know. If I want to deliver on promise, I need to look. And so that is one of the first places. When I say listening is essential, that is one of the first things I listen to. I guess I'm using my eyes I look at um, to make sure that I'm hearing what families have to say. Another really important way to listen is to talk to families at drop-off, at pickup. You 
uh, get wind of a parent having some concerns, you pick up the phone, you make that phone call. Hear what they have to say. You, when you make that phone call, you don't want to start by talking. You want to start by listening. And so um, making sure you're having those conversations with families whenever you can is essential. Um, and listening to the kids. Yeah, they're four, they're five, they're six, they're seven. They sometimes say things that makes me pause. And I go, ooh, is that what we want to be doing here? Or, oh, maybe we need to change the rhythm of our day. Um, you know, just on Monday, I saw our four-year-olds getting real tired around one o'clock. And I said to myself, you know what? We need to change the rhythm of the day for these little guys. Um, and so listening to the children, paying attention to the children and what they need um, is also essential when making sure you're delivering on promise. How do you listen to the teachers, Pira, effectively? I've, I've sat in on your morning meetings. I know what that vibe is like, though. I'd like to cover that at some point if we have time in the remainder of this sesh. But tell me about listening to teachers and what's valuable to you as a director in terms of making any refinements in either in real time or long term. I think there needs to be two opportunities for teachers to express themselves. There needs to be the... Um, the in-person opportunities where they feel that they can openly discuss their challenges. Um, oftentimes in camp, we don't do it every day. It's just not feasible. Um, but I try a few times a week for us to sit down before a day of camp and just openly um, help uh, brainstorm, challenge, uh, brainstorm solutions to challenges teachers are having at that particular week. So I'm just talking about, I have a kid who really has trouble controlling his body. You know, and how can we as a group, and this is not me giving them all the answers. This is us as a group supporting that teacher and making sure that they feel heard in their challenges. Or a teacher saying, I, my kids are getting really tired at one o'clock. And that's when I need to be, say to myself, okay, is the rhythm of our day appropriate for those four-year-olds? You know, mm. um, so that's one place where I think it's really important to listen make sure you have structured opportunities for teachers to present, to um, express themselves. If you're just counting on teachers coming to you, that's not most likely not going to happen. <laughs> no. It's the rare teacher who is going to do that. Yeah. So you'll have that it. one teacher, right? That yeah, always yeah. comes to you. <laughs> right. That's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> you can write that one down for the future. Um, but giving them concrete, structured opportunities to express themselves. And you don't want to just sit down and be like, who's got something to share? You want to really go around the room. Um, one thing I like to do is say, uh, go around the room and say a, um, a success and a challenge. And that really gives teachers a structure where they can express a success and then they can express a challenge. Then the other um, place where I think you really need to give teachers an opportunity to express themselves is in an anonymous fashion, they need to be able to fill out a Google form and freely say what they want to say, because yeah. not all people feel comfortable saying all things at all times, like me. <laughs> and so um, I might be, you know, I might walk around with my heart on my sleeve, but that is not the case with everybody. And so I make sure that I give teachers the opportunities to talk about their needs anonymously and to, and to really read those 
and to reflect on those and to reflect on those myself, to reflect on those with the camp manager and the administration and make sure that I'm really listening to those. Pierre, I was going to read and that before we go back to Daniel to, uh, with this next question, I was going to, do I have permission to read a couple NPS survey responses from parents? Yeah. Super hey, man, if I'm going to talk about owning it, you need to read them on the air. <laughs> yeah. And I want to just point out to our listeners too, because, uh, you know, Daniel and I talk a ton, Pira, about systems and, and you said you need to have structure. That's a great word you can swap out for systems. Yeah. By the way, structure might work better for our listeners than the idea of systems or working procedures or whatever. But this idea of an NPS survey of just asking for feedback is doesn't have to be complicated at all. It can literally be, I think this is just a Google survey we're sending people. Um, yeah, it's just a few questions. Yeah, it's super basic. And um, I'm going to point out one other tactic that you do, you guys do so well in camp is at the end of each week when the parents come, you hand them a piece of paper and you ask them two questions. What's one thing that you really appreciated about the week? What's one thing that you'd like to see done differently? Remember, we just get that. Mm -hmm. That's just like handwritten on those. Yeah. And, and we'd end up, you know, we wouldn't have like all 50 responses, but let's say you get 20 of those. Mm -hmm. Those were awesome, real-time, powerful feedback. And um, let me let me read a quote. I'm going to lead, uh, by the way, with the NPS survey, you're basically just asking for those of you that are listening and don't know what it is. You're just saying on a scale of one to 10, would you recommend BMF summer camp um, to a friend? That's all it mm -hmm. is. And if, yep. they, if they score a nine or a 10, it's what they call a promoter. That means that they're a real super fan. If they score uh, a seven or an eight, it means they're neutral on that promise. They're neutral on the experience. A six or below means they're a detractor, means they really actually, we didn't deliver on promise and they wouldn't really truly recommend it. You know, So it's a great, simple method. And then you follow up with the question, tell us why. And some people fill out that. And this is what I'm going to read. I'm going to read. So I'll read one. I'm looking at the results, Pira, from 2021 coming mm. out of camp. We fortunately did not. You didn't have a single detractor. Nobody put between zero and six. <laughs> and I'm going to read you. That makes me so happy as our first post-camp, I mean, post-pandemic camp. Love it. Yeah, I thought you <laughs> yeah. dig that. I totally, uh, you know, and sometimes the detractors are where we learn the most, right? Oh, absolutely. Back to the phone call you were talking about. But yeah. um, let me just read you a response from a neutral. This is from a seven. Okay. Uh, this parent said, one issue we had was that my child was assigned to a role as a lead singer in her band, but because she's too young to read, she wasn't able to learn the lyrics. It would have been better if she had been played guitar or piano. Uh, pretty badass because I feel like Pierre, that gets back to listen to the child in the moment, right? It happened to me on Monday. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're like, we need to work with pictographs. I mean, picto lyrics. <laughs> yeah. And let me read one now from a 10. Uh, here's a lovely one. Brooklyn Music Factory has made a huge difference in my daughter's life. Okay, we always love it when anybody says that about our small business. Um, it's such an encouraging, supportive place, and it gives kids the tools to make their own music. It also let them experience that being in a band is for anyone who wants to do it. Thank you so much. I feel like <laughs> when, when I read that, I'm like, 
fun, inspiring community. Like somewhere in the community, I'm going to put inclusivity because I know that's super important to you and I. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so inclusivity I put in the community piece. Okay. I just thought I would share that because I like to keep it as super concrete and real on the ground level for us. Of like I what's was actually happening. myself. I was ready. I was like, okay, here it comes. So that was pretty <laughs> late. That was easy. I don't know. No, no, no. I just, yeah. that was real. I just yeah. read you. I mean, I read you the seven and I read you the 10. Yes, There's a bunch yes. of others, but anyways. What do you do practically to make sure that you and your team deliver on that promise? Mm. Yeah, it's um, one of the places I struggle with is sort of practically uh, transforming what we do um, from the heart into a practical practice. Mm. So that said, um, number one, I would say I'm, I'm looking at my own process as somebody who didn't work, as somebody who had to work on this, is articulate it to your to yourself right? Write it down. Know what you want to say, right? Build a training that reflects that and make sure that your training can be implemented in bite-sized chunks in simple and effective ways. I used to train in these massive um, beasts and I have learned that bite-sized pieces of information to start with are much more effective um, in terms of actually making sure teachers um, implement the curriculum and deliver on promise. Um, Another thing that I would say is in the training, uh, it is not important for your teachers to learn it all. I would say they need a starting point. Because a lot of learning is living it. That is how I have learned. And there is nothing like living camp to learn it. And so there is always a shadow period for teachers where they can actually live it. And the the most essential fundamentals that they need to learn in order to understand what they are shadowing in their in their training. Um, This is a hard question for me. I'm really trying to break it down right now in a way that's practical, and it's hard. This is is not an easy question for me. So um, making sure that their training is simple, easy to digest, and that they are living it to start. Hey, it's Nate again. You know, every year at Brooklyn Music Factory, we get dozens and dozens of great reviews from our families. And you want to know how? Because we ask them. And they're happy to leave a review because of the positive impact that we've made on them. And so now I have a simple ask for you. If this podcast, the 7FMS podcast, was helpful to you, would you mind leaving a review for Daniel and I? And please share the podcast with another music school owner that you think might benefit. It's one of the best ways that you can support us. We appreciate it.